We are, for Advent, taking a Christmas road trip. We are trying to go to the, uh, in our heads, in our imaginations, to the four places listed in the story. We're going to Nazareth, to Jerusalem, to Egypt, and to Bethlehem. And so we're trying to look at the meaning of those places. And we talked last week about how places carry meaning. Okay, if I say Gettysburg, it's not just a place, not just a town in Pennsylvania. We, we think of things that happened there, and they're associated with emotions and, and with feelings and with backgrounds. And that the writers of the Bible, they couldn't write everything. They had to be selective. So when they put something in, it's normally important. And when they, they put a detail in, uh, a lot of times it's supposed to add something to the story. And that includes the geography, the places and the towns, which I am gu- as guilty as anybody as completely ignoring when I read the Bible. Okay, but there's really a lot of meaning there. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to get behind these places a little bit. So this is Israel uh, with the Mediterranean Sea on the left, the Sea of Galilee up to the north, flowing down to the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. And so in the Sinai Peninsula, you have the Med, the Dead, and over here is the Red. Med, Dead, Red. That's how you can remember the bodies of water around the Sinai Peninsula. And uh, Jerusalem is uh, just to the west of the Dead Sea. Um, It is uh, up in the mountains. So even though from the city of Jericho it's about 17 miles, it is very, very high. Okay? Uh, Let me show you a cross section of what Israel looks like from the side. Okay? So it starts at the Mediterranean Sea, and there is a plain along the sea. And then the hills start going way, way, way up. So you start climbing in elevation till you get to the top of the mountains, which is where Jerusalem is. And then they dramatically drop down into uh, the Rift Valley, the Jordan Valley. So the Dead Sea is literally the lowest place on earth. And then they very quickly jump back up to the Jordanian mountains, and then you're in the desert. Okay? And they do all this in 50, 60 miles. Okay? So it goes through all this topography. But Jerusalem is way up in the mountains. So in the Bible, anytime you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. Because anytime you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. You have to go up. Okay? To let you know how low the Dead Sea is, when I was there, this was open. The lowest bar in the world. Actually, it was closed for renovations. It was really disappointing. I was going to have a beverage there, and I couldn't. It literally, there was no place further below sea level than the Dead Sea. Okay, it's the lowest place you can go to on earth. Um, but Jerusalem from there is up. It's in the mountains. And when we first hear about it, we hear about Abraham going to a place called Mount Moriah. Traditionally, that's held to be right in Jerusalem. Remember the sacrifice of Isaac? Abraham goes to this mountain and um, is getting ready to sacrifice Isaac, and he has stopped We also know Abraham paid tithes to a a guy named Melchizedek, who was from the city of Salem, which is often considered to be Jerusalem. So we we have very old ties to this place in ancient Israel. Um, But it was not for a long time an Israeli city. It was for a long time held by people called the Jebusites. And it was called the city of Jebus. And the problem was when the people came into the Holy Land, when the tribes came in with Joshua, this city was so well fortified because it has these valleys surrounding it and was built up. 
that Israel could never quite kick them out of there. Okay, and they were way up in the mountains, so you got, we were tired by the time you got there. And uh, the Jebusites built around a spring called the Gihon Spring on the side of the mountains, and then dug a tunnel in to, to have a cistern so that if you were attacked, you could have access to that water. I mean, it was a very, very well-protected city for the, uh, for the Jebusites. So much so that Israel really can't kick them out of there. Okay? Here is me and my dad and another guy from our group in those very tunnels that the Canaanites had dug. That's very nice now. They paved the bottom so they're flat and they put lights. But back then, neither of those are the case. Okay? And the water would travel into a cistern inside. This is important because it's this tunnel that helps David's men take this city. Okay? David's men sneak into the city through this tunnel. So they get in by the spring. They go down this tunnel. You can imagine in the dark, no lights, no pavement on the bottom. They keep going in. And that's how David's men end up taking this city. And David makes it his capital. The interesting thing, David is the second king of Israel. He is trying to bring the people together. But if he, if he picks a known city that belongs to one of the tribes that are already there, it'll be like having a capital that's associated with a particular state. And you can't have that. That'll show too much bias. So David decides, I'm going to have a, a city that is not part of the tribes already. Okay? It's like Washington, D.C., not part of any state. Okay? Jerusalem becomes that, and he makes it his city. He expands the city, builds his palace there, and then, very, very important, he purchases this hill up above the land, okay, which he intends to make for a temple for the Lord. Okay? Now, until then, God did not have a permanent residence among the people. He had what was called the tabernacle. And if you can remember back to your Sunday school days, okay, the people of Israel, when they were out in the wilderness, God led them to build this, tab- this sanctuary Okay? This like little portable tent church that they could set up, and then when they moved, they would move, and they'd set it up again, and they'd move and set it up again. And the Ark of the Covenant was in there. But there was no permanent place for God in Israel. And part of the problem was that the, the uh, tabernacle by this time is really not around very much. The Ark of the Covenant has been stolen several times. David decides we really need to have a place of worship in Israel. But God does not let David build it because uh, God says, you've been to war. You are a warrior king, and I'm not going to let hands of blood build my house. And so it ends up being David's son, Solomon, that really builds the city. So if, if I go back here, you can see David's city, and then you can see Solomon building the city up the hill. And what Solomon does, he actually takes that hill builds retaining walls, chops, so the hill kind of looked like this. He chops off part of the hill and puts the dirt over here with that retaining wall and makes this nice big flat platform that becomes known as the Temple Mount. And uh, it's dedicated in about 950 BC. Okay, so now God has a place in Israel. Uh, Here's what Solomon's temple may have looked like. It was Known for its grandeur, Solomon was known for his wisdom, but also for his wealth. And uh, people would, even though Jerusalem is way up in the mountains, it became a major vacation stop on your trade routes through Israel. 
you would say, okay, I got to go out of my way. I got to go make sure and see the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, so Solomon uh, ends up adding to the economy because of this temple. Okay, by the time of King Hezekiah, you, you can see the map is expanding now. We're on more of the hill. Okay, and you can see walls. They've had to fortify a lot of this city and continue building the city up. So the, the city of David would have been right here. And then Solomon adds up here and Hezekiah goes over to the next uh, hill. It's uh, a lot of Hezekiah's work that gets ruined when the exile happens. When the people are carried off and Israel is basically destroyed by the Babylonians. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed and laid to waste. A lot of this is lost. And it's not till later that Nehemiah and Ezra would help to build the temple and build the walls again. They've actually found some of these old walls. This is in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, and so they're much smaller than the walls you see today from the Middle Ages, uh, from the Crusades. Um, but th- that's a section of wall that Hezekiah came from Hezekiah's day and that Nehemiah would have rebuilt. It would have been taller. Now the city is, you sort of build on the ruins. And so it keeps building and building. Um, when they come back and can rebuild the temple, Ezra's temple, they call it the second temple, it's exciting because, okay, now we've got our, we got our capital back. All right, now we've got our, uh, our worship back. But it's never quite the same. And it becomes kind of a point of tension that it's never quite as beautiful as what Solomon's was. So every year, Jews would travel up to Israel, coming up the hills and into the gates and onto the temple and through the walls and out through the gates, past all these towers, for the various festivals. And there were certain psalms that you would read. Psalms that you would sing on your way into Israel, on your way into Jerusalem. They were called the Psalms of Ascent, always going up. And that's our scripture for today. Psalm 122, but it's going to make way more sense to you now that you understand a little about, about Jerusalem. Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up. Remember, they go up. Everybody goes up. The tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who loved you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can understand now a psalm of ascent, right? The psalms that you sang on your way into the gates, past the towers, through the walls, up to the temple mounts, past David's throne. I mean, this is exactly... Israel's hope, okay? Israel's expectation, Israel's longing. And we can imagine Jesus singing these psalms as he came in. Uh, this is kind of an overview map uh, from the top now. Uh, the Garden, Mount of Olives over here, the Garden of Gethsemane, overlooking uh, the Temple Mount. And uh, the city was a little more established by the time of Jesus there. Um, but we can imagine Jesus singing as he walks in. 
The temple that Jesus would have seen would have been much more beautiful than Ezra's. In fact, the second temple that Ezra and Nehemiah had worked on is almost indistinguishable. You can't even tell because a really great builder named Herod the Great uh, had built this monumental temple. Okay? Herod was a builder. He built all kinds of cities. He built all kinds of fortresses. And he built this amazing, amazing uh, temple. The problem was, not everybody was really happy that Herod had done that. Okay? Herod was a pagan. Uh, Herod followed a lot of the Jewish laws, but he was not Jewish. And uh, he was really pretty cruel to the Jews. Um, so not everybody was real happy that he had worked so hard to build this. It was a little more of a testament to him than it was a testament to God. And uh, during Herod's days, then, it became so beautiful, it became this big tourist attraction. Okay? How many of you remember the story Jesus goes in, chases out the money changers from the temple? Because okay? people are coming from all over to see this temple because it's become this big tourist attraction. Okay? And there were a lot of Jews who thought, well, that is not worshiping the one true God. It became a problem. It became... Not only a symbol of God's presence among the people and all the hopes of Israel, but it also became a symbol of everything that was wrong with Israel, of everything that was wrong with the sin in the people. To really see that, you, let me show you this. This is a model of the temple. This is the temple mount. See how it's flat. And uh, Herod did a lot of work to rebuild those retaining walls from the days of Solomon. But look at this over here. Okay, see this big, these big towers off to the side of the temple? That's called the Antonio Fortress. Okay? Uh, it's named after Mark Anthony. And Herod built it, and he built it with real tall towers, taller than the temple, so that Herod and the Romans could look down and see what was happening in the temple. Okay? So this becomes not just a symbol of hope, but the temple in Jerusalem itself also becomes a, a symbol of what's wrong, of corruption and of sin becomes this very mixed bag in Jesus' day. But still, so important to the story. So important, in fact, that the Gospel of Luke doesn't start his story in Nazareth. He doesn't start his story in Bethlehem. He starts his story in Jerusalem. If you go back and read the parts of the Christmas story that you assume, but you never read, okay, you're going to find that Luke starts with a priest named Zechariah, who goes into this temple as part of his service as a priest and is met by an angel there who says that his barren wife is going to have a son. He doubts it, losing his ability to speak. I always wish I could be there when Zechariah comes out and has to try to tell his wife that she's going to be pregnant because an angel told him so. Right? I would love to have been there for that Miming, okay? But here we have, right here at the temple, right here at this place that is a symbol of both hope and God's presence, but also a symbol of sin and of pain, a testimony that, okay, all these plans that God, all, all, everything that Israel's been hoping for, here we go. Messiah's coming. The answer is here. Of course, his wife will have a baby whose name would be John. John the Baptist, the cousin, probably of, of some kind of cousin of Jesus. Then when Mary finds out that she is pregnant, she freaks out because in little Nazareth, that would not have been good news, she goes to visit her relative, probably a cousin, whose name is Elizabeth. She is the husband 
of Zechariah who was in that temple. She goes probably not to Jerusalem. Tradition tells us that, that they were from Ain Karem, which is right outside of the city of Jerusalem. A lot of the priests lived right outside of town. Yeah, they lived in the suburbs, and then they came in for work when it was their turn to work. Okay. So Mary shows up, and the first testament outside of the Holy Family is the Holy Extended Family. And it's John the Baptist doing cartwheels in his mother's womb and getting all excited that now we have the Messiah. Then if you go to the end of the Christmas story, you'll read a story that almost nobody reads at Christmas time, okay? which is the blessing of Jesus after his birth. Okay, there are, there's two strange characters, Simeon and a prophetess named Anna, who both are waiting at the temple for God's promise. And here they go, they walk into the temple to bless Jesus, and these two people, kind of strange characters, but that's part of the Gospel of Luke. Luke has all these strange characters, like shepherds, okay, that end up testifying about who this Jesus is, and they note that this Jesus is the coming Messiah. Now, remember, when Jesus is 12, he ends up back there. Every year, Jesus probably traveled to Jerusalem for the festivals. And when he is 12, then, he stays there and ends up teaching. Uh, They have to go back and find him a couple days later. Many, many other stories, many other healings happen in Jerusalem and around this place. Jesus is not always welcomed there. In fact, where did he normally stay? He normally stayed in Bethany, about two miles away. Number one, the city's pretty busy. And for a, little, for a guy from a little, little town like Nazareth, it's too big. Okay? Um, but also, I'm not sure he was ever totally welcome or comfortable in Jerusalem. He has a lot of problems, like when he kicks all those uh, people out of the temple with a whip and turns over the money changers' tables. Okay? Uh, he gets into all kinds of traps. And then the last week of his earthly life, Jesus goes up on the Mount of Olives. And uh, this painting kind of in the upper left kind of shows it. When you're on the Mount of Olives, you can actually see the entirety of Jerusalem. Okay? It's not that big. It's all on the hill. So you can see it. And the text says that Jesus cried for Jerusalem. He loved this city so much that he cried for it. Now he also chastised them, right? Woe to you. But... He cries for this city. Uh, this chapel you see here is uh, called the Chapel of Dominus Flevit. And uh, it is meant to be shaped like a tear upside down. Okay, so the pointy end would be down in the sanctuary. Okay, a very pretty chapel. But it's supposed to mark generally the location where Jesus wept for Jerusalem. Of course, later that week, we know that Jesus would be crucified there in Jerusalem. Okay? Now, where exactly in Jerusalem, we don't know. Okay? We know that it has to be a place where it's outside the city walls, and it has to be a place where there's a garden and there can be a tomb in that place. So there are probably a number of places could fit for this, and we're not sure which place exactly. The tradition is that it's where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is now. Um, The picture didn't come out because of the lighting in the room more than our screen. But my friend Dan is under this table, reaching down into a hole in the rock where it's suggested that crosses could be picked up and then slid into. Okay, it would have been up on sort of a, you have to go to the second floor to get to this. Okay, 
And uh, people are kneeling here next to a flat rock where it's said that Jesus' body may have been prepared. Okay? So these are, uh, these are, I think, really good mosaics that are in the room showing Jesus coming down off the cross, Jesus' body being worked on, and then Jesus being laid in a tomb, all of which uh, they think maybe happened where the church of uh, the Holy Sepulchre is. Okay? Another location that's probably not as historically... Uh, uh, not as historically accurate, or uh, probably the favor is in this, if this church. But there's a tomb that was found. They call it the Garden Tomb now, from roughly around the time of Jesus. And uh, most trips to Israel end here because it actually looks and feels like a tomb. It's not like a big church built on top of a tomb. And uh, it, it, go there, I don't think historically that's where Jesus was buried and crucified. I think Holy Sepulchre is probably right. But this feels different. You get you know, that feels. You get the feels here. You don't get the feels the same way in the big church. Uh, here's Jerusalem today. Okay, this is from the Mount of Olives. So that's what I'm telling you. You see that? That's the whole Temple Mount. And uh, a lot of these stones were laid by Solomon and then later uh, covered by um, Herod the Great. You can still see them. Um, so where the... Uh, when the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., this whole place gets wiped out. The Romans, when they do it in 70 A.D., they do it for reals, and they take everything off the Temple Mount and throw it down. Okay, so th- this is... Uh, I'm going the wrong way. All right, so this is, uh, this is my, our guide... And uh, up here is the Temple Mount. So these are the, 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 the uh, that's the retaining wall. But there used to be an arch that would go from up above my friend Charlie's head over this way. And it was, when it was torn down, it actually broke the road and you can still see the damage. I mean, literally nothing of the old temple was left. It was all thrown down. Most of the valleys that you see in those old paintings, you know, the, trying to show you, are not as deep now as they were because of all the destruction was thrown in those valleys. Okay? So this is totally destroyed. Okay? Where the temple was, the Dome of the Rock now sits. Uh, in, uh, the, the tradition is that uh, uh, Muhammad had a dream that came here, and they consider Father Abraham to be their father too. So if that's where he sacrificed Isaac, that's where Father Abraham was. And so this is the third holiest site in, uh, in Islam. Beautiful, beautiful building. Um, the Jews believe that when the temple is destroyed, the Spirit of God moved to the closest thing that it could. And that would have been the western retaining wall. That's the wall. You'll see it on the news. This is the wailing wall. Okay, where um, that, that would have been, you can see in this picture, the western wall, the retaining wall, and then the, where the temple was, now the Dome of the Rock. So they believe that the Spirit of God moved to the closest thing it could, and that was the, the wall. Um, this is so important for Scripture that when John talks in Revelation about a new world, he talks about a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. Okay? That when this world is made right and everything is made good, it has to be that somehow a new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. This place that was God's base of operation, this place that was this symbol of hope has to be made New. So, why Jerusalem in the Christian Christmas story? Well, 
it's, if you understand the importance of Jerusalem, it's almost impossible to think that you could tell the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus without this. Okay? It's the place that represented the kings of old, the temple, the worship, God's presence, the nation, God's faithfulness, and ultimately also humanity's faithlessness. It's a symbol of God's leadership, but it's also a symbol of Roman influence. And so no wonder when Jesus comes to answer all those things, to fulfill all those hopes, to make right all those mistakes, the story has to make a stop in Jerusalem. That this baby being born at Christmas is going to answer a whole bunch of these questions surrounding this place. All the hopes, all the mistakes fulfilled and made right in this little one that would eventually die in that very city. So pay attention to that city of Jerusalem as you think through your Christmas story. Because it almost had to testify in some way about who this baby Jesus was. May we, as we get closer to Christmas, be thinking about who this baby Jesus was. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.